Before this episode begins, we want to give a trigger warning. The content included contains information regarding sexual assault and sexual violence. This subject matter could be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. There's so many victims out there that are not being believed or they don't have a place to go, a trusted place. And so, you know, for me, that was just such a personal drive for me. Welcome back to Emergency Entrance. This week, we are joined by someone with such an inspiring story that led her to where she is today, Shannon. Shannon is a registered nurse who also has her Master of Science in Nursing and is also a certified sexual assault nurse examiner, also known as a SANE nurse. In this episode, she gives us a look through the lens of a SANE nurse and shares a miracle she witnessed that left our jaws open and goosebumps in the best way possible. Thanks for listening. Hey, Shannon, we're so excited to have you with us this week. Can you tell us a little bit about you? What made you want to become a nurse and what drove you to become a SANE nurse? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I have been a nurse for 16 years, and I think that there has always been a part of me who was just destined to become a nurse just because I love people, I love giving back, and I love helping Um, just trying to make somebody's life better. Um, Through my experience um, as a nurse, I've just, I've seen so many different situations occur and I have been through some personal experiences and I think it really helped inspire me to explore and enter into the area of sane nursing. And it just opened up another avenue to help people who truly don't have enough opportunities to seek that kind of help. So I think for me, that was a really big part of the inspiration. Can you explain what a SANE nurse is? Yes, absolutely. So a SANE nurse is a sexual assault nurse examiner. Um, We are considered to be in the forensic um, nursing category. Oftentimes we work with law enforcement in conjunction with the investigation that goes into uh, different situations of sexual assault, including rape sexual violence, domestic violence, things of that nature. So there really is no difference when you say a SANE nurse or a forensic nurse. Is that is it the same thing? Well, it does depend on the training. Um, a sexual assault nurse does have very specific training on the sexual assault examination, documentation side of things. Forensic nurse uh, is a pretty broad category, but it is a part of the same process. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on that background. Okay. Uh, we were talking about it and we said, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around the emotions that what you do as a sane nurse could entail. And we were wondering what it's like being a sane nurse. And is has there ever been a time that you had to consciously mentally prepare yourself for what you were going to be possibly walking into? Absolutely. Same nursing is something that even before I think you go into it, you've got to kind of wrap your mind around what the potential experiences may be. Obviously, with any kind of situation where we have a victim of sexual assault, sexual violence, there's a huge emotional toll that's a part of the support process, trying to get somebody through the system, trying to make sure that evidence is collected but also supporting them from a psychological and mental health side of things. 
So I think the preparation ahead of time is really key in order to be successful. And then you really have to take it case by case. There's going to be times, you know, there were times for me that I was able to walk into, you know, a situation in a case and feel very confident and secure and emotionally stable um, going through the process. But then there were cases that were honestly emotional roller coasters for me. And I think a lot of that is based on the personal, say, nurse, based on what kind of personal experiences they've been through, as well as the details of the situation and the case. For example, uh, I was a SANE A. Um, that was my practice when I was currently um, active as a SANE. That means that I was trained in adult cases. But the interesting thing in the SANE world is that adult uh, is considered to be 12 years and older, wow. which obviously is a, a little oxymoronic in the grand scheme of things when you look at pediatric populations. But I was trained to go ahead and assist victims that were 12 and older. And I did have a case of a 12-year-old. And that was an incredible emotional roller coaster um, for me to experience because it was a child. Obviously, it was a baby. You're doing a forensic exam on them while they're hugging a giant stuffed animal of Kermit the Frog. And, you know, it's you have to keep yourself strong. You have to approach it in a completely different situation than actually doing this on a true adult. And especially when that that individual, this is their first sexual experience and for it to be violent, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to want to seek justice yourself, honestly, mm-hmm. in those in those cases. Can you tell us about a patient that you will carry in your heart with you forever? Absolutely. Obviously, I can't share names or anything. But uh, so just kind of to give a little bit of a background um, in regards to the department that I worked in, it was actually through a police department. So it was not through a hospital. So the clinic was run a little differently. But quite a few years ago, I had a patient, she was 15 years old. She came in and finally had gotten brave enough, strong enough to report a, um, a consistent uh, situation that was happening with her mother's boyfriend. He had actually been raping her for three months and she was terrified to come forward. And she finally had the support system and the people that were able to assist her with that process. So she came to her clinic and I was her sane nurse. I went through the interview process and, you know, the details that she shared was pretty difficult to stomach, uh, especially for somebody who's 15 years old and you should be able to trust you know, an adult in your life, somebody who's dating, you know, your own mother. And this individual had been picking her up from school, taking her back to uh, their living environment and assaulting her almost every day. And when she came into the clinic and I went ahead and did the physical exam portion, she had very obvious injuries, even after three months of continuous um, violence against her body. She still had injuries, which just kind of showed the extent and the force in which this man was taking on her. So it was certainly very difficult um, to go through that process. But actually, three years later, after I had completed the initial case, I received a subpoena in the mail in order to be an expert witness in the court of law against this man who was being charged with repeated molestation and rape of this individual. And I was able to go back because this was out of state I was able to go back down to the state I had previously worked in. And despite the court process being incredibly terrifying 
um, having to be, you know, an expert witness and having people interrogate you and, you know, question your um, training and, and your background and are you, you know, qualified to do this. Um, I was able to testify in this case and this individual received life in prison with no chance of parole. I will never forget the feeling when I found out the verdict on that case and being just humbled by the situation, being humbled that I could be a part of the justice system that prevailed for this, this girl. And I also got the opportunity to see her again after three years, which is very uncommon for a sane nurse. Oftentimes when we take care of patients or victims, we never see them again. Um, and so it was kind of, you know, I was able to kind of wrap up that situation and see that she was able to go to college and she was able to move on with her life and then get justice for what she had been through. It was really uh, bittersweet in, in the grand scheme of things. So I bet, but you know what, at least he was charged and put away and absolutely thank God for that. Amen. <laughs> I'm sure that she was someone that changed or shaped the way that you cared for patients. Can you think of any other patients that you've had that did change or shape the way that you cared for your patients to, that you were going to have in the future? I think when it comes to forensic nursing, a lot of it is really detail oriented. Um, it really boils down to really providing a platform for your patients to have a voice, both from a, a true vocal perspective, but also a physical perspective. It's, it's providing them a safe environment for them to come share their story. And I think that that is something that's so important for nurses to do in general, is we need to be a listening ear. We need to provide safety. And most importantly, we need to believe and trust our patients and understand that they have a journey, they have an experience, and that plays a significant role into a disease process, a hospitalization. And we as nurses play a profound role and opportunity in helping to better their life whatever that means to that patient. And so when we just take the time to just stop and reflect and listen and allow them to share their story, I think it, it just speaks volumes to, to what we can do. It's, it's more than just medicine. It's more than just changing a disease. It's, it's changing a person for the better. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think, right. I think sane nursing really helped me deepen that because of the mm -hmm. detail involved. So I know that you've had a lot of experience throughout your nursing career and throughout your journey. Have you ever witnessed what you would consider to be a miracle? That is, that's a really hard question, Katie, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> so this story is, I mean, it's, it's truly, I don't think there's another word that could define it outside of a miracle. Um, it actually, it happened in the previous state that I worked in, um, but I do have a background in labor and delivery and maternity nursing. And we were working and had a situation that was very difficult. Family came in. The, uh, the patient was in labor and she was incredibly premature. So we're talking about about 25-week gestation, which is something that's right on what we call the line of viability, which is can that baby survive or not? And so this individual, she, she went into labor. We were unable to stop the preterm labor. And she did deliver this baby. And unfortunately, based on all the assessments, based on uh, everybody's, you know, professional opinion, this baby was not going to live. And um, the baby was declining. Uh, the physical assessment showed us that the baby was actively passing away. And so we started what we call postmortem care. 
and went through a process to, to comfort the family, comfort the mother, take care of the baby, clothe it, clean it, you know, do all of these things that are very important in the grieving process. And the baby was placed into a private room, which is what we normally do. And we allow the family time in order to prepare for them to kind of mentally be ready to um, handle the baby and take pictures and, and provide that opportunity for memories. And so the nurse that was actually taking care of um, this individual, she was assigned to this patient. She had gone back into this room where the baby was about an hour after they had declared that this baby was no longer alive. And she heard a noise in the room and went over to the bassinet and the baby was breathing. The baby was starting to cry. And she, she described this as almost like she had seen a ghost because she just couldn't believe because this was the baby that everybody involved had already determined that there was no heartbeat. The baby wasn't breathing. I literally have chills right now. Absolutely. (laughs) It just gives you goosebumps. And so this nurse, you know, honestly, she kind of had a bit of a panic attack and I can't blame her based on that because she was terrified that a mistake had been made because You know, we are very, very careful situations like this for obvious reasons. And it was just, it was truly a miracle. And this baby was fighting for dear life. And when we started checking pulses, because she she had a bunch of us come in to try and assist with the situation. And the baby had a strong pulse. And, you know, the baby was breathing well. And the baby had pretty decent color, which was truly amazing. And we took an oxygenation saturation on the baby. And it was almost completely normal which is just, this is so unheard of. This is so rare for this to occur. And so we were able to assist the baby. Um, You know, obviously we had to, you know, tell the family, tell the mom that, you know, your baby's alive. And as you can even imagine, which gives you goosebumps even more, um, that conversation and how amazing it was, but also, how, you know, like horrific in a way, because I'm sure that that mother was probably very confused at the situation because she had already accepted the fact that her baby had passed away. So kind of summarizing the situation, they were able to take the baby to the NICU to be able to provide proper support. But surprisingly enough, this child did not need the level of support that we typically always see with such a premature infant. And it was just, there's no other words but a miracle. And that baby actually did very well and was discharged home, you know, months later. But I I don't know. It's just, it's, there's nothing but a miracle. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. Absolutely. That family had to have been going through. Yes. And honestly, having, I I had a preemie myself. I would never want to imagine being told something like that. Mm -hmm. And then being told that the baby's okay, I think one of my biggest fears almost be if it was to happen again, if the baby did pass, having to deal with a death twice, that would have been so frightening. Absolutely. And, you know, I I feel so tremendously for the, the nurse that was assigned, you know, to this particular patient and had, you know, been taking care of this, this baby, she went through an incredible emotional roller coaster herself because you know, she, she was terrified that she had made a mistake. She was just truly terrified that she had placed this baby 
in this room by itself and nobody was with it when he came back to, you know, there were so many what ifs going through her mind. And so there was a lot of support that we provided each other and especially her in the situation, as well as the physician that had pronounced that baby and had confirmed that the baby was not, you know, alive anymore. So I think it was just this, this all around amazing and awesome story, but had such intense emotions connected with it. It's just unreal to even, you know what? Thank God that the baby was okay. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's an awesome story. Yeah. I think all of us know that that baby has got, you know, God's got great things in store for that little one. That's for sure. <laughs> Going back a little bit onto the same mm-hmm. nursing here. Um, you know, that was an awesome story. Now we're going to bring it back down again. <laughs> <laughs> going to examine a patient, uh-huh. I can only imagine the importance of building patient trust. How do you do this during somebody's most vulnerable and emotional state? So that it's very situational. You really have to take um, the environment that you're in and you really have to get a reading off of the patient. What is their behavior? What, what level of emotions are they portraying? Um, is there fear? Is there anxiety? Is there tears? Is there anger? And you really have to base the entire situation, the entire process on what the patient or what we call the victim can handle. That's something that's a very important concept for sane nurses to basically accept and, and plan ahead for is that this is not a quick process. This is a situation that once you get a case, you, you're in it till the end, and it may take a couple hours. It may take six or seven. And because we never, ever force anything on a patient, we always go as slow or, you know, based on the speed that the patient can handle. You know, sometimes when you're doing interviewing and trying to pull the details out of the patient, it's going to take some time because we need to let them have a break to process the emotions we, we need to let them have a break just to remember. Oftentimes, the interviewing process can actually re-traumatize the patient, um, as well as the physical examination. It can certainly re-traumatize because if it is an adult patient, we do invasive testing, invasive sampling in order to try and collect as much evidence as possible. So the biggest thing is you just, you've got to let the patient or the victim have control. Do you also take care of men that are victims? Yes. You know, I think that there's a myth out there or this stereotype that sexual assaults only happen to females. And, you know, it's that's so far from the truth. Certainly statistics show that it is far more common in the female population than it is in the male. But there are thousands upon thousands of cases every year of, of male victims. And those are just the ones that report. You know, honestly, statistics are very difficult in in this population of victims because there's so many people that never report their situation. But I did take care of of male victims. In particular, there's one that really stood out. He he was from a nearby city. The the clinic and the department that I worked at, we served 16 counties. So it had a very wide population of individuals. And this this man, he was from a pretty large city that was within our vicinity. And he was in a park and it was kind of later at night and he wasn't doing anything bad according to his story, but he was attacked by another man. Then he was sodomized in, in the park, mm. in the open. And he came to the clinic and I remember the emotions like the true raw emotions that this man was experiencing. And he kept saying, how am I a man anymore when somebody did that to me? How am I a man? 
And I remember sitting there with him and, you know, holding his hand and telling him that he is a man and nothing can ever take that away from him, regardless of what his beliefs are, regardless of what he, you know, feels, what he thinks. Nobody has the ability to take that away from him. But just to see a grown man truly sob with just raw, like it was just rawness. I don't know if that's even the word I can use. It was just pouring out of his soul because he was so devastated by what he had experienced. And honestly, some the emotional roller coaster for me was a lot more significant in that case than some of the other female experiences and, and victims that I went through because I just saw a, a completely different side uh, of that victim and what and what he was experiencing. I think that that's a really important and significant story to share because kind of like you said, statistics or what people think is mm -hmm. more females get abused than males. I feel like that's probably why they don't come forth mm -hmm. as often as females do. Absolutely. I, I think there's so many stereotypes and opinions out there that, oh, that can't happen to a man. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to have, you know, literal physical strength that that should never happen. And that's really not the case. Like you said, it doesn't make them less of a man. They are in that situation. Right. Personally, I want to become a sane nurse and I know April is interested as well. What would you tell those who want to pursue this nursing credential? That's a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> first of all, I think some of the absolute biggest and most important advice is that you should always try and get as much experience behind your belt before you enter this type of career. Sane nursing has another word that truly defines it, and that's autonomy. Most sane programs throughout the United States are, are so autonomous in our functionality. There's not a lot of support departments tend to be small. And now you are trying to handle, you know, a situation that can elicit a lot of emotions on you personally, violence, you know, assault, all of these, you know, very traumatic situations, and you're by yourself, or you're very limited. And so the more experience you have, both from a physical assessment side, but also from a mental strength, the more successful you can be. And when you're successful, you can give that support to your, to your victims and to your patient population. I have seen nurses try and go into the forensic science side of things, including sane nursing, and they didn't have those years of experience. And I, I mean, it traumatized them. And it, it really changed who they were and not in a good way. And I think it's so important for you to build yourself a strong foundation because the whole point of sane nursing is, is to be able to give and to support to that population. And so you want to make sure you have the tools in order to do that successfully. How do you decompress or uh, manage or deal with the trauma? I think it's really important to recognize your own personal limitations, evaluate your own personal experiences in order to figure out kind of your reason as to why you're doing this. And that can help you find the best way to process the emotions. For me, I have a very supportive husband. He was somebody that I could come home to and I could kind of debrief, you know, without sharing too much detail, obviously, but he would just listen. He was incredibly supportive just in my career in general. And he also really truly understood my personal, you know, story and reason as to why this was so important for me to do. And I'm really, I'm very open with, with um, my personal story as to, you know, why I chose to go into sane nursing. When I was 15, I was raped by two boys that I thought were my friends. And it was obviously a very traumatic and difficult experience. But the hardest part for me was that 
I disclosed the situation to somebody who should have trusted me and should have been there to help me. I I disclosed it to the school counselor and he in turn told me that I needed to stop making up stories to draw attention to myself. And yeah, I'm going to try not to cry or anything and get emotional because, you know, it's been a long time since that occurred. But it's it still brings up raw emotions for me because he was supposed to be someone that I could trust. He was supposed to be, you know, that person for somebody to come to when, when something bad goes wrong. And for somebody not to believe me and I felt alone, I felt like I couldn't, you know, I had nobody to turn to. I, I didn't want to stress my parents out at the time. And um, it, it just was a really difficult situation. So I internalized it. And I still saw those boys every day at school, knowing what they did and knowing what they what they would say to threaten me to try and keep me quiet. And it really lit a fire in my my soul and my being. I'm a pretty spicy individual. And I think that I've been able to harness that energy, I guess, in a way and and give back. And so for me, career wise, it was always a part of of my goals in order to enter into sane nursing, so that I could be the person that believed somebody else, I could help, you know, provide a resource for somebody to be willing to come forward and say, somebody hurt me, and I need somebody to believe me. And I just need someone I can trust. And I just, I, I find it's just, per, it's such a personal drive for me in, in going into this, this career field. And, and I just believe so much. I have such a passion to believe that we need to, you know, expand the same, the same world, the same nursing opportunities, because there's so many victims out there that are not being believed, or they don't have mm-hmm. a place to go, a trusted place. And so you know, for me, that was just such a, a personal drive for me. And I think that that helps me process the emotions, you know, going through and helping those individuals, because I know I'm making a difference for them. Absolutely. And I'm sure you're able to process your own emotions that you weren't able to process way back, you know, when, you know, you're, you're being the person that you right. needed back then. And I mean, it's healing, I'm sure for yes, you. Yes, it's been definitely therapeutic. And, you know, I, I will admit, I've had to kind of calm my inner um, lion, I guess you could say at times, because knowing what those emotions feel like, sometimes, you know, you want to go take justice into your own hands. But it's Uh still been incredibly therapeutic to be able to provide that to somebody else who needed it. Going to somebody who's thinking about doing Mm -hmm. this, is there any kind of program out there where an RN could shadow a sane RN or so that they could see, is this something I can handle? It it is difficult to answer that question um, wholly just because it is state by state. States run very different Mm -hmm. programs. Even, um, you know, communities can vary dramatically. For example, here within our own community, you know, one of our hospitals, they run a sane program out of the ER. And so there may be opportunities for a nurse to kind of get her foot in the door and say, can I shadow? Other programs run their same uh, programs out of police departments, which is what uh, my experience was. So for somebody who really wants to try and see if this is an avenue they would like to go down, I think the biggest recommendation I can make is to reach out to the local programs and find out if there is an opportunity to shadow because it, the programs are run so differently. It's hard to say specifically what programs will allow. So can you tell us about your most fulfilling moment or the moment that you were like, 
yep, this is why I do what I do. So specifically for sane nursing, uh, I I think there's a lot of moments, honestly, that have just kind of hit me along the way. And it's, it's the very quiet moments when you get done interviewing a patient, you get done with the physical examination and you're getting ready to say goodbye to the patient and they thank you. They just take a moment to say, you know, thank you for being there for me. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for going slowly. You know, whatever, whatever the, the situation is, whatever they're thankful for, it's, it's the small, quiet moment that makes it so worth it because you can see the difference that was made. I think those are, those are really the moments that, that helped me know exactly that I was in the right place. Is there anything we haven't thought of to ask you that you would want someone that's thinking about becoming a sane nurse to know? I think the biggest thing is just understanding the level of dedication that is required to become a sane nurse. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of time and patience. Understanding the level of detail I think is really important because when it, when we're nurses in in the hospital, for example, and you're you're taking care of patients on a medical floor, you know, detail is very important and documentation, of course. But when you're working as a forensic sane nurse, it's now the justice system. It's now the court of law, and that is a mentality that's very different. And the level of detail and the differences that are required with that style of documentation, for example, is it's very different. And so I think one of the biggest things is just making sure that when you enter into that world, you understand that there's a different mindset. There's, it's all about the outcome. It's all about, can this be proven or not? Can justice be served? And so I think it's just important to make sure again, that you have that foundation on that solid, you know, experience as a nurse so that you can expand um, your observational skills, your documentation skills to a different level because of those requirements. Thank you so much for talking with us and sharing your story and going into more depth about kind of an uncomfortable topic all around. But I think it's something that definitely needs to be more normalized and not sheltered and private, kept privately. Yeah, I think the more knowledge that we get within the community and the more people that are willing to talk about taboo things, you know, the less discomfort occurs and, you know, Hopefully it opens up that avenue or that door for people to be willing to come forward when something does happen. And hopefully in turn, people who want to participate and and actively abuse somebody in that manner will be more scared to do so because people are willing to speak out against them, which I think is incredibly important. Well, we appreciate your time and we thank you so much for answering all of our questions. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Statistics show that one in six women will be raped annually in the United States. Rape by gender have found that along with the one in six women, one in 33 men also experience rape annually. Sexual assaults are the most prevalent, but yet the most underreported crimes. Over 40% of women in the U.S. have encountered sexual violence. Nearly 80% of sexual assault victims experience their first assault before the age of 25. 28% of male victims of sexual assault in the U.S. are age 10 and under. Over 1.5 million women were raped by an intimate partner in 2019. Almost 95% of child victims knew their attacker. Every 93 seconds, someone in the United States is sexually assaulted. 
For every 1,000 rapes in the U.S., 995 perpetrators will go unpunished. 